Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy. You have to understand human nature. How are you doing there? It's David. It's podcast time. What a week. We are still digesting what the hell is going on in Ireland. You know, our deal is we're trying to make head and our tail of the economy. We're trying to make it a bit more relevant. But what has happened in Ireland in the election is clearly seismic. We will discuss this and we're going to internationalise things as well. By the way, just before we start, it's been a big, big week for the Dorky Book Festival. We have announced the biggest literary prize in Ireland. It's €30,000 goes to a writer or two writers. So it's 10000 for emerging writers, 20000 for an established writer. It's been financed by our sponsor, Zurich. Have a look at the dorkybookfestival.org website. We're not on till June, but this will give you a heads up. It's a wonderful thing to be able to do, and I'm totally delighted that we've been able to announce that this week. Other thing is the live show. John and I on the stage of the Olympia, hey. March the 15th, which is, as I was saying before, a holiday, so it's even not a school night. <laughs> Sunday, March 15th, John and I, live podcast in the Olympia. Get your tickets Ticketmaster.ie. Johnny boy, what is the crack? Do you know what the best thing about the elections for me is that this is going to be the end of the placards. You know my gripe against the placards? You, I won't you. let it go. I won't let it go. I'm sorry. They'll be coming down now. They'll, They'll be, be coming, coming down, down now. now. Do you know how much each of those cost? You know, the regular size. Do you know you're t- now beginning to sound like George Hook? Oh, I tell you, come here. <laughs> there are fiver, and then to put them up, you have guys, you have to pay some guys to do it and blah, blah, blah. So each one of those costs in the region of eight to 10 quid per placard. And they're not recyclable. And each of them is the equivalent of about 300 coffee cups. Now, I know that because Shay Brennan from Fina Fall. Oh, right, your man. Yeah, I, I was talking to him. I got talking to him at a... Uh, at a dinner there. Did he get his arse kicked in the election? I think he did. Fianna Fáil in your neck of the woods. In your neck of the woods. But what do you make of the whole thing? Well. I mean, the the, the Sinn Féin surge is extraordinary. It's enormous. unbelievable. But do you know what? And everyone's talking about the 18 to 24 group. Yeah. All voting for Sinn Féin. And I can attest that my daughter Maggie 
did exactly that. The two of us went down to the polling booth and we were talking on the way down and I said, who are you voting for? And she said, well, Sinn Féin is the only party that is talking in real terms about solving the housing crisis. And that's all she cares about because she's desperate to get out and get on with her own life as with all her, her mates. And so her and all her mates that's all they're concerned about. And they all voted Sinn Féin. And they all the voted Sinn Féin. The amazing thing is, Sinn Féin in the, if you look at the numbers now, Sinn Féin in the youth group, the 18 to 25-year-olds, has polled over 35%. It's more than Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael combined. So Sinn Féin is out-polling yeah. the major parties in the youth area. If you actually think about it, John, one of the big takeaways from the whole thing is that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael's, no matter who as the government, and they may they might prop each other up this one last time, but Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael's voters are dying. Basically, yeah, yeah. they have lost the young market. And if you look at the single biggest, biggest determinant of whether you vote Sinn Féin or not, is actually not income, it's not gender, it's not where you live, it's actually your age. The older age group are implacably opposed to Sinn Féin, and the younger age group are implacably opposed. Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael yeah. and they're putting their votes in a smatter in the Greens and the Social Democrats so age is a massive factor And but do you know what's interesting as well is that now you correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not an expert in Irish politics but the voting this time around went more along the lines of policy as opposed to personality and Yeah which party. is not a bad thing Which, which no, I think is great that's the way it should be yeah, People no. should be voting on policies and not because oh, I like your man down the road and Blah, 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 and you as fella and all that kind of nonsense. Yeah, you'll vote for your man because I voted for his father and yeah. my father <laughs> voted for his father and you'll vote for his son. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's, it, the thing is, it's changing. This is a new Ireland. And what I've been very interested this week, I wrote a piece for the Financial Times uh, for this weekend just to explain to outsiders, you know, yeah, what yeah. is going on and, and how to explain. This was before the vote. But again, I took from last week, we had Kevin Cunningham on the show. He's great. He was the only analyst who said Sinn Féin will get between 30 and 35 seats, and he said maybe 35. Yeah. Now it looks as if they're going to get north of that. They're going to get in the late 30s, which means they will almost get a seat for every seat they can contest it, which is amazing. But I was trying to explain to outsiders, you know, how, how a society that has the fastest growing economy in mm. Europe has the best educated population now, so the proportion of Irish people between the ages of 20 and 40 who go to university or have had gone to universities higher than any other country, okay, mm. that has had, you know, a pretty competent, urbane, mixed-raced, gay Taoiseach, how can it lurch to the left so dramatically, so quickly? This was something that the Financial Times people were trying to understand, you know, mm. for our audience. And it is fascinating, not so much at what... Sinn Féin is, but what it's not. What do you mean by that? Well, it's very easy to identify what it's not because everybody, certainly in the UK and the States are saying this is a sort of a vote, like a Trump vote or like a Brexit vote, or maybe it's like the Italians, the Salvini vote, or maybe it's like the Catalan nationalist vote. And if you actually look at what is it, the vote for Sinn Féin in Ireland is not a vote in the Republic for a united Ireland. This is not what drove your daughter Mm. to actually vote. Absolutely not. So number one, so it's, it is not like the Catalan separatists. It's not a vote for a united Ireland. It will mean 
that the border poll comes quicker rather than later, mm. sooner rather than later, then is it like, for example, a lot of people in Britain are thinking, it's a Brexit type vote, you're doing the same as us. It's not a Brexit vote, because a Brexit vote is a nationalist vote against the EU. Sinn Féin are completely pro-EU, okay, as are the vast majority of Irish yeah. people. So it's not like Brexit. And then you think, is, well, is it like the Italian vote in Salvini? Is it an anti-immigration vote like the Northern League in Italy? And again, it's not, because Sinn Féin is pro-immigration. And Ireland now has one in six of our residents are foreign-born. It's the highest percentage of any European country at the moment. And Sinn Féin are not an anti-immigrant party. So it's, okay. it's none of those three. Like, then is it like an old Catholic vote? Because, you know, in the past, nationalism was associated with Catholicism. And you think, like, what has happened in Poland? So you're going to tick the box. It's like Poland, that's been very reactionary, very Catholic. Yeah. It's not that vote at all. So you think, you know, what exactly is it? And then you think, is it like, for example, you know, in America, the vote for Trump and in Brexit was a kind of a nostalgic vote. It was to go back to the past where, you know, make America great again. Mm. Right? No Irish people go around with baseball cats saying, make Ireland great again. There is no nostalgia <laughs> here, you know? Imagine like, maybe like in NASCAR meetings, you could have Yanks will go around with their MAGA baseball cats. Could you imagine at the All-Ireland final, you, won't, you wouldn't be selling many baseballs. MIGA, make Ireland great again. <laughs> Like, drain the bog. Yeah, drain the bog. Make Ireland shite again, right? But it's interesting, but I was actually trying to explain speaking of drain the bog. So, so it's not a nostalgic vote. Although we could be shouting, lock her up. Lock her. Well, the interesting thing, the interesting thing about lock her up and all this, I was trying to explain to the Financial Times guys what Chucky Our Law meant. And I was thinking that Chucky Our Law, actually, it's actually, Chucky Our Law has got that sort of three-word snappiness, like yeah. lock her up, drain the swamp, get Brexit done, so that's T-A-L on a... On a yeah, hat. Chucky R. Tall, right? Okay. But I was trying to say, but it has that snappiness of, you know, our day will come. And the interesting thing is, it was coined by Bobby Sands. It, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't pre-Bobby Sands. It was actually Bobby Sands coined that. Okay, I didn't know that. Uh, and, he, and he made it his own. And then the IRA and Sinn Féin started to use it over the years. Now, it's interesting, Sinn Féin don't use it anymore. Although Mary Lou Macdonald did use it last year at the Ordesh. She got into also hot water because it's a very heavily loaded yeah. expression. But yeah. obviously it means our day will come and it does seem that their day has come. And the question then is, we know what it's not. So it's not an immigrant anti-immigrant vote. It's not a Brexit vote against the EU. It's not an ultra-nationalist vote because the people in the South are not displaying ultra-nationalism. Yeah. A bit more national. And it's definitely not, for example the way Brexit was an old people's reaction. Because old people, as we said, didn't vote Sinn Féin. It's a young person's vote. Yeah. And the question then is, is it real in the sense, are these votes rented or earned? By that I mean, do people like Maggie who vote for Sinn Féin, are they the new Sinn Féin base? Or are they just lending Sinn Féin their votes primarily because Sinn Féin have said, we will fix the housing crisis? That I think is a massive question that people haven't really answered yeah. yet. So so in that case, they have been lent the vote for four years. And that's their four-year stint if they don't sort out housing or certainly make significant progress on it, they're gone. Well, the interesting thing is, it's still up in the air as to whether they're actually going to go into any coalition with anybody. At the moment, we still have the situation where it seems the most likely outcome is Fianna Fáil get propped up by Fine Gael and in some sort of confidence and supply idea. That mm. still seems the most likely. The question about Sinn Féin is that Sinn Féin totally and utterly 
even if they're not in power, change politics here forever because the issues that they identified, particularly housing, are now going to have to be on the front foot of any government. Mm. And that means we're going to have to accelerate profoundly council housing, building council housing. That will become the issue. And I think that's really good. And then the question is, how is it done? How can we do it in the confines of finance, in terms of sites, in terms of the economy being at full capacity, does it begin to overheat? All those issues well, are there. Th- th- that was the one of the things I was going to ask you, is that since Fine Gael have been bang- banging on about solving the housing crisis over the last uh, few years and stuff, and not a huge amount of progress, how can Sinn Féin solve that? Sinn Féin will nationalise the housing crisis. By that I mean they will, even if Sinn Féin don't get in, the housing crisis will be nationalised. By that I mean Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, for the last 25 or 30 years, have put all the onus of housing on the private sector. Yeah. Sinn Féin will go back to basics on this, and they will build council houses in the way we used to build council houses, which is the following. The state owns land, either it owns land or it buys land. It then zones that land. It then gets a developer to build council houses. It buys the council houses off the developer, and then it rents them to tenants yeah, and the state takes on the risk but there is no real risk in property in Ireland. It's a little bit more like Singapore what you described It's more like Singapore yeah the Singaporean government own the The land the land we will also see hopefully because housing will become absolutely central maybe some use of what's called the Austrian model which is cooperative housing so you join a co-op and the co-op then begins to finance and build the house. And then you own a share in a co-op. Over 40% of all houses in Vienna are owned this way. It's a financing structure and it's an ownership structure through cooperation. So the reason I think all this change has been positive Mm. is because Irish politics and the Irish whole way of looking at housing has been really stagnant. And of course, as you know, that means rents go through the roof. That means that the extreme homelessness increases dramatically. It means people can't move out. It means people can't settle down. And much more importantly from the equality, it means that the all the returns from land go to what I would call a drone class, which is the landlord yeah, class, yeah. right? So this is a positive, I think. The question then for many people outside the country is what about Sinn Féin and the Provos? Is there still a link there? Because Anti-Sinn Féin people believe that Sinn Féin is not a normal party, that it is still a front for the IRA Army Council. The IRA Army Council are Aulads who live in West Belfast, mm. who used to be running the provost, Adams, the Army Council, etc. So if you look at the anti-Sinn Féin visceral hatred that you see in some areas in Ireland, mm. it's this idea that Sinn Féin is still linked to the IRA, Sinn Féin in government means the IRA in government. What does that mean for security? What does that mean for the state? What does that mean for the special criminal court? All that sort of stuff. Yeah. Most other people who are not viscerally anti-Sinn Féin are prepared to understand, I think, that parties might start as almost a secret society, as Fianna Fáil did. But over time, they become more and more democratic. Mm. And there is a check on Sinn Féin which is, if you're really worried about this, which is the democratic process. Yeah. But what is interesting here for me is 
the way in which Irish politics has changed for good because demography is destiny. And when you look at the fact that Sinn Féin is hoovering up the youth vote, you can make a very plausible case for Sinn Féin being the biggest party in the next election and Sinn Féin becoming the dominant party for the next few decades. You can make that case yeah. because the old parties, as I said, are dying, literally. Yeah. Their, their actual base is shrinking and the other parties don't seem to be able to get into the game. And by that I mean, if you look at the Social Democrats and the Greens and the Labour Party, they all had the opportunity to make housing the big issue. In fact, they did, but Sinn Féin owned it. So Sinn Féin in this election stood as if they were the only party yeah. talking about public housing, which they weren't. So that's quite interesting as well. Yeah. It's your man and O'Brien, isn't it? It's O'Brien. It's the way they figured out how to speak to the electorate. Yeah. And also, and I was again explaining this in the FT, there's a whole generation of Irish people, new, you know, the new Ireland, who have no recollection of the Troubles. It's yeah. over. Yeah, it's, I mean, the, the only danger thing about that is, you know, history is destined to repeat itself if we forget about that. But the other thing I was going to say to you, what I, what I thought was very interesting as well about that vote is that Brexit as an issue had virtually no bearing on anything. But having said that, the DUP must be a little concerned at this stage. Well, the DUP, so the interesting thing about Brexit is, again, I was reading some of the British media and they've equated this to a sort of a Brexit vote, number one. Mm. Or they equate the rise of Sinn Féin to anti-Britishness, yeah. which stemmed from Brexit. I think the second point may be kind of true in the sense that, remember we talked about the RIC? Mm. That RIC commemoration came a week before the election campaign. Yeah, I think it served to frame the election in a way in which it lodged in people's heads and it gave Sinn Féin legitimacy. You could see that particularly in Munster and in rural Leinster, where they'd never got TDs before. So I do think that's still at play. And I think Brexit, what Brexit has done is it has so annoyed Irish people because we've had to listen to what we called Britsplaining. Yeah. Do you remember that yeah. idea that yeah. mansplaining is a man explaining feminism to a woman? Yeah. A pompous man. Yeah. And Britsplaining is a Brexiteer explaining Ireland to an Irish person. Yeah, which so, there's a lot to that. And, and there's going to be more, lots more of that because yeah. Brexit isn't going away. I mean, we're just, we're in the round yeah, two, you know? Getting, yeah, getting so, started. So I think Brexit would have given Sinn Féin a little bit of cover, a little bit of a fill, would have got people thinking in a way of, uh, you know, when, when you see them wrapped in their union jacks and talking about this, that and the other, it does get Irish people's back up. There's no doubt mm. about it. Yeah. And Sinn Féin are obviously going to get a wee bit of that sentiment. And obviously all around the world, politics has become more nationalist anyway. Yeah. You know, everywhere. You know, the politics has become more nationalist and nationalism has been given legitimacy that it wasn't given in the past. Mm. But then to go back to the DUP, obviously the Shinners will demand a border poll as a condition of their participation mm. in anything. This has the potential to totally upset the apple cart in the north. Yeah. It really does. Yeah, so, I think so too. we've had, we've talked about this before. Nationalism in Ireland has got a fantastically easy policy, which means it's called just wait and allow the demographics to, to tick yeah. up, allow the nationalist population to grow. And then 
in 10, 15, 20 years, whenever it happens to be, you begin the process of talking about a united Ireland yeah. properly. And in the interim, in those intervening five years or half decades or decades, you begin to put together almost like a people's assembly. Yeah. That, the, the sort of stuff we did for the abortion and the gay and the gay marriage, that you basically have talking shops and you begin to talk and you bring people in from the cold. Yeah, reach out. Reach out. And, you know, I've always felt that it's up to us as Irish people, if we want to unite Ireland, to be the generous side of the bargain. Yeah. To make sure that unionist people feel at some level that they can play some role here. Yeah. That's the only way it's going to work. I think that's crucial. I think it's absolutely crucial. The whole thing will fall apart otherwise. If the shinners get their tails up because of this vote, and if they decide, okay, now we have got the permission to accelerate this process, that I think is very, very dangerous. And that's where, if Sinn Féin are clever, they won't overestimate the significance of this in terms of the greater picture of Mm. the island. You know, I've thought a lot about this. I've traveled, you know, a, a lot in the north. And even though, for example, there are now more immigrants on the island than there are unionists, that's the amazing thing. <laughs> really? That's actually true, yeah. yeah. There are more, that's a great stat. Yeah, there are more immigrants in Ireland on the island than there are unionists. Even though <laughs> in the a new Ireland, if it were to happen, unionists would be about 18% of the population in, right. in a united Ireland, yeah, right? Yeah. That's about the same... Uh, is the non-resident population here yeah. now. So it is quite interesting. And in 10 years' time, there'll be more immigrants than unionists, right? Yeah. Even so, we need to understand that a united Ireland is about two traditions. And one tradition can't dominate the other. Northern Ireland was an experiment and one tradition dominate the other. Yeah. And it led to violence. So the fear I would have, but I'm sure Sinn Féin strategists are thinking this through, is that an acceleration of even the discussions would prompt the unionists to begin to panic. And the unionists' panic, I mean, is it can manifest itself in all sorts of odd ways. And I don't think anyone in the South is prepared for that just yet. Mm. So that's a worry. But the upside is that on the social and economic side, particularly the social side, they build more houses. But at the back of my mind is a concern about their attitude to capital, right? Right. You know that I'm a big supporter of people doing their own thing, people starting companies, us becoming an entrepreneurial society. Yeah. Basically, the Schumterian view that basically good companies elbow out bad companies. Economics is a relentless cycle of creative destruction. And the economy is never at equilibrium. It's never at rest. It's never inert. It's always changing. And I worry that the Sinn Féin view of capital. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Is a very old school Marxist view that capital is the enemy. And if we go down this route, and it can happen quickly, we were and are still a country that's doing extremely well because of the way in which I believe we treat business and capital and enterprise, and we're open to it. I worry the Shinners could queer that pitch. What is interesting about the Sinn Féin vote is that they primarily focused on domestic issues, probably rightly so as well, like housing, etc. But as you just said, the Irish economy is very global, very internationalised. So yeah. how could that play out but with the That's a really in interesting question because what happens during elections is you tend to navel gaze. Yeah. You look in, right? Ireland is not only a globalised economy, it is the most globalised economy in the world. That is as measured in economics, it's the, the ratio of imports and exports to GDP. We have the highest, okay? Yeah. So basically, we have done incredibly well out of globalization. This country has, was poor, was backward, was church-ridden before we opened up in the early 90s to globalization. And once we did that, the country took off. People have qualms and quibbles with how the wealth was divided. I have too. Mm. But the actual fact is in terms of the upward movement of income and of opportunity and education and all those things, this country has benefited enormously. So in a way, we're incredibly well-suited to globalization. We're really well-suited. Part of that is the multinational story. Yeah. The multinational story, I believe, is incredibly nuanced and is more fragile than we think. The Shinners are saying, those guys owe us money and we should get it back. Okay, that's yeah. their basic thing. Well, they want to take that 13 or 14 billion or whatever it is. I think eventually somebody's going to take that 13 or 14 billion. And I, I, I also understand why we need to have a decision on that soon. Mm. But my fear is that the country turns from being capital facing. And by that means being open to people coming in here mm. and money coming in here and actually begins to become anti-capitalist under a left wing kind of internationalist left idea. Right. That worries me greatly because I've said before, you know, if we didn't have the multinationals, this place would be Albania with shitty weather. It really would. There'd be nothing going on here. Yeah. Right? So my worry is that in the excitement of what was a Lent vote by young people to Sinn Féin to fix the housing crisis, to make the society more equal, to actually speak the language of the youth to understand that the youth have been left behind by the middle-aged. Yeah. In that excitement, the easy buttons to push are the anti-foreign buttons. And foreigners in Ireland come in two types. There are poor foreigners and rich foreigners. Poor foreigners are immigrants who come here to work, which Sinn Féin totally and utterly endorses and supports. 
rich foreigners are the multinationals in the capital. And we have to figure out a dialogue between these two things that makes sure that both of them are welcome here. And I worry that, you know, going straight for the tax jugular, because basically in an international world, money is like water. It flows via the path of least resistance. Yes. Similarly, capital in an international world flows via the path of least resistance. So if you allow yourself to be open to capital, and that means having low taxes on capital, yeah. it comes here, right? And the ideal situation is we build public infrastructure, both housing and transport, at the same time as remaining open to foreign capital. That, I think, is the sweet spot where we could end up. If we lose sight of the fact that we're a globalized economy, then we could end up, I think, having this stupid discussion with ourselves, which is not cognizant of what's happening in the world. And what is happening in the world right now is the coronavirus. Yeah, but, okay, hang on a second. I know the coronavirus is a, it's a huge issue at the moment, but how exactly does that affect Ireland and our current situation? You better get used to that now. Pay for the pain, I'm telling you. We're all going to be talking about that there. Anyway, uh, so onto the coronavirus and economics and Ireland and how it's all linked together. Ireland is a cog in a global supply chain, right? What we forget is that, and the Brexiteers forget this, and Trump forgets this, is that there's no such thing as sovereignty anymore, economic sovereignty. Mm. So goods are not made in Ireland with Irish imports or inputs and then exported out, right? So the Brits seem to think, the Brexiteers seem to think, goods that are made in England, I've got all these English inputs in them and then they're expected. That's not how the world works. How the world works is that every good that is exported from almost every country is an amalgam of inputs that are largely imported from elsewhere, assembled in that country. Maybe there's some value added in research, maybe there's some marketing, maybe there's some branding, maybe there's a tax yeah. deal, everything. But basically, every country is linked together by global supply chains. Now, why is China important? Because China is the source of many global supply chains. It's the source of many intermediate stuff that goes together stuff that's actually made elsewhere. Yeah. So once China closes down, which the coronavirus is doing, mm. that supply chain gets totally interrupted. The last time we had a pandemic, this isn't a pandemic yet, but an epidemic like, like mm. uh, yep. the coronavirus, was the SARS. I remember it well. Then China was 8% of global GDP, 2002. It's now 19%. So it has doubled. And just to give you a sense of how big wow. and important China is now, right? Right now, Apple, right? Yeah. The world's biggest, most valuable company, okay? Yeah. 20% of all Apple's sales come from China. Wow. Right? It was 4% when the SARS virus hit. Yeah. So China is much, much bigger. Since the SARS virus hits, has hit, which is in 2002, Chinese exports to the rest of the world have increased sevenfold. So China is deep in the center of a global supply chain. If you shut that down, the ramification, the, the ripple effects are phenomenal in a whole, whole suite of products. Yeah, yeah. That's how it affects it. So globalization means that sovereignty is dead. Sovereignty is dead means that the supply chain dominates. And then you come back to Ireland. Ireland is at the epicenter of global trade because we have set ourselves up yeah. as a trading kind of entrepot off the coast of Europe. Yeah. 
You know, if there is a Singapore of Europe, it's not England, it's here. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So we could be profoundly impacted by the supply chain effect of the coronavirus. Now, obviously, that's never going to be discussed in an election because it's too much of a highfalutin idea. Yeah. And, you know, nobody goes into the ballot box and says, oh, fuck, what about the supply chain? I'll vote for that fella, right? <laughs> yeah. But these are the things that, you know, the way in which the economy has changed since the SARS outbreak. Yeah. And the coronavirus. Well, as they used to say, it was, you know, if if America sneezed, the rest of the world caught a cold. But now it's, it's China, China sneezes. sneezes. And you're absolutely right. So that's why we should be cognizant of what's going on in the world. Next week, we'll come back to this and yeah, tease I it think out a little bit more. really worth it. Tease yeah. it out how it affects financial markets, how it affects bond markets, yeah. how it's affecting the global, what I would say, links between everybody, yeah. right? And how China is so important now. And you don't necessarily have to be directly trading with China. Yeah. But it just has to be part of the supply chain. Yeah. And Trump rubbing his hands and stuff. Well, well, okay, well, let's leave that till till next week. Well, Trump will screw the Chinese on the trade deal now. Yeah. Because he knows oh, they're weak. Big time. Yeah. Because he knows they're weak. Yeah. So let's let's come back here. Okay. Come back to Ireland. I just want to explore a little bit about, you know, this huge swing to the left. Yeah. And the youth vote, which is primarily 18 to 25, that voted for Sinn Féin. But what else is happening? Okay, so the youth vote are significant because it marks a total shift in the way in which people think. And the assumption is if, as those people get older, they will stay with Sinn Féin and then Sinn Féin's base will get broader. Yeah. My own sense is that I think the youth votes have lent their votes to Sinn Féin. Yeah. What is much more significant for Sinn Féin, I think, is that to get to be the biggest party, Sinn Féin now will have more votes than anybody else. Okay, that we know, right? To get to that, it's not just the youth. It's not just a nationalist vote. It's not just this. It's a much more broadly based mm. idea. So basically, what you're seeing in Ireland is lots and lots of people who were in the middle, who voted maybe Green last time, voted Fianna Gael last time, voted Fianna Fáil last time, certainly Fianna Gael and Green, okay, and Labour. Those people have changed their votes and they've gone to Sinn Féin. Not only that, but Sinn Féin used to be a Dublin working class vote and a border county vote. That's really where it was yeah. strongest, right? So a nationalist vote in Donegal and the border counties and then Dublin working class vote here. What has happened is Sinn Féin has spread completely into the commuter belt, into towns all around Leinster, to towns all around Munster. So the commuter class has actually voted. So the question is, who are these people? And if you look at American elections, this is a phenomenon we're seeing all over the world, that the swing voter is this sort of commuter in the middle. They tend to be in their 30s. Yeah. They tend to have quite good jobs. They tend to have, but they're locked out, maybe something like the housing market, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, this is why Sinn Féin have been so clever. Sinn Féin have split the election and the electorate into what they would call insiders and outsiders. We've talked about this before. Yeah. So yeah. the insiders, they keep hammering Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, the people in the suits, the men in the suits, they're yeah. the insiders. The outsiders are us, okay? We're outside. And anybody who has a grievance with society in some way is also an outsider. And what Sinn Féin have figured out is the while the outsiders might not have a stake, they have a vote. Mm. And they can be counted on to vote for Sinn Féin in this election. And then the question is, who are they then? So it's not just a radical vote. And in America, they have this idea called the soccer mom is the most important single demographic. Because she's the swing voter. She's the swing voter. Right. She's in the suburbs. She's driving around with kids. 
She may be in a starter home. She has a job. She's educated. Mm. But she feels slightly precarious that things aren't really settled. Childcare is expensive. Rent is expensive. Her take-home wage is only a fraction of what her actual wage is. Yeah. And her spending power after she spent on childcare and rent is minuscule in comparison to what her wage sounds like. So you, you can have somebody in Ireland who earns 70, 80, 60 grand a year and still have very little money at the end. So this is the soccer mom in America. I think Ireland has an equivalent that I would call the Schlitter mom, right? <laughs> I can tell you exactly what she looks like. She arrives in to a GAA club in a Nissan Qashqai. Yeah. She also has a clipboard, which is always very worrying. If you see anybody, a woman at a GA match with a clipboard, you know she means business. And that is the swing voter. So I call her the Schlitter mom. And yeah. she, these people run the GAA, right? Yeah. These people do all the accounts and do everything. They are absolutely engaged in politics. They're absolutely central to the country. So when you say who is voting for Sinn Féin, it's the swing voter in the middle that has yeah. been persuaded by Mary Lou Macdonald's performance. She's also a woman. There was also a sense that the more Sinn Féin were attacked by the regular parties and vilified Sinn Féin, and particularly Mary Lou Macdonald as a person. Yeah. Okay. The more, I think many, many middle of the road people said, hold on a second, this looks like blokes ganging up on a woman again. Now, interestingly, interestingly, what... Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael tried to do, and I think maybe rightly, is come back to the killing of Paul Quinn, come back to the IRA, mm. come back to the murders, come back to the shadowy issues. But it seems from the numbers is that people were prepared to give Sinn Féin a chance. Not that people were ignorant about the link with the IRA, not people were ignorant about what's going on in the North, not people were ignorant about the vigilantism, but they said, you know what? We want change. And Sinn Féin represent change. And we're prepared to hold our nose regarding the IRA and their associations yeah. because we think that the immediate issue is housing and that's what they're talking about. So, for example, when Fine Gael talked about Brexit or even the Greens talk about climate change, they're kind of remote ideas. They're very hard to put your finger on. Mm. But if you're renting or if you're homeless or if you can't get out of your parents' house, that's an immediate issue. Yeah. Somebody says to you, I'll fix that. You go for it. Whether you are an 18-year-old, a 19-year-old, or a 35-year-old who still can't get on the housing ladder, if somebody says, I hear you and I'll do something about it, then I think that's what Sinn Féin did. There's a great expression that the, the role of the leader, I can't remember who said it, in, in, in the role of the political leader is to understand the anxiety of the people and do something about it. It's a really good expression. Mm. So the role of the party in an election is to understand the anxieties of the people and promise to do something about it. Now the question is, if Fianna Fáil decide to go in power with Sinn Féin, whether Sinn Féin's promises are anything more than just promises, if they are material, then the bet on change will have worked out for many, many people. But with housing aside, you know, from a business and economics point of view, the Irish economy is actually doing quite well. So 
you know, that's why the, yeah. the, the youth vote sticks out so so much. Well, it's the youth and, and let's say the under, now as we're getting very old, John, youth becomes mm, like TBR. under 40s, right? Under 45. <laughs> so they're all very young, right? Uh, I think what you're seeing is something that we've seen all over the world in the last, since the financial crisis is that every time a country votes for this is make no mistake this is the popular left i mean yeah. this is this is Juan Perón with a bit of irish dancing thrown in right <laughs> yeah this is peronism this is going to be big state state looked after this is exactly the sort of stuff that they did in latin america in the 70s and 60s this is a this is a, for, a form of kind of what i would call shamrock peronism okay right okay this is what it is but what you see all over the world is it's not when a country is on its knees that it votes for change. It's actually when a country is doing quite well that they vote for change. So, for example, when the Americans... Why, voted, why is it? It's kind the, of counterintuitive. It that. is, but when the Americans voted for Trump, they were out of the recession. They voted for Obama in the middle of the recession. Yeah. They voted for Trump when they were out of the recession. When the Brits voted for Brexit was 2016. Mm -hmm. The British recession was well over by that stage. If you look what you see is that when a country is doing quite well, it allows people or gives people the permission to take a risk in an election, to vote for the unknown, to vote for the person or the party that says, we will change the world for you. And I think it is something that we see, the narrative about populism is populism is always related to poverty, austerity and crisis. Yeah. That sounds good, but it's not true. Populism happens when things are going quite well because it gives those people in the middle, the Schlitter mom I'm talking about, and all yeah, sorts of people, yeah. they are comfortable enough to take a risk. Right, okay. That's what I think is happening here. And it's quite, quite different to the narrative that's peddled all over the place in the media and by commentators that Sinn Féin have come into power in Ireland or come to the fore in Ireland when the economy has never been stronger, when incomes have never been higher, and when unemployment has never been lower. That is the story. So then what you're saying then is that Sinn Féin is all about big government and this border poll. And it was interesting that I was reading about another recent referendum in Switzerland. And in that referendum, there was a big swing to the left, which was unexpected. But... You know, we were talking before about direct democracy in Switzerland and how that might that's, be applied here. That's a really interesting observation. So we know that the Swiss have a very different approach to democracy than we have. Yeah. And what it's about is about full participatory democracy so that every time there is a significant issue of legislation that the Swiss have the right to put it to the people. Yeah. And how, that's why they have all these referenda. Yeah, they've won every, but also the every really, month almost. Yeah, but the, also the really interesting thing is direct democracy means you localize all power. Now, let's take Sinn Féin, let's take the border poll, and let's look at this island 20 years hence, right? Mm. It's very clear to me that the island will not be unified under present mandate, i.e. it won't be the Republic taking over Northern Ireland, mm. right? Unions won't have it. But the direct democracy is, I think, has the seeds of the future in Ireland in it. But the only way that we can reimagine this country as a unified political entity 
is if we have direct democracy. So if we cede all the power to the locality or the vast majority of the power to the locality, Mm. and that will allow the unionists to continue to run their own affairs, to tax themselves, to spend themselves, to be mandated all the time. So at the moment we have what what I called the last time spectator democracy. We've just seen that, where every four years we go thumbs up or thumbs down. Yeah. And this time around we go thumbs up to Sinn Féin and thumbs down to almost everybody else, Mm. right? And then we all go away and we don't think about it for another four or five years. Whereas the Swiss make democracy part of your everyday living. And I think the only way we can integrate unionism into Ireland is to have a federal Ireland based on provincial parliaments and provincial power. And then that power is ceded down to the locality and to the, to the locals. So the locals run taxing and spending for each other. In that way, it allows the unionists to come into a new Ireland, which isn't dominated by the tricolour, yeah. isn't dominated by nationalism, but in actual fact is a totally reimagined country. And that reimagination is what I would hope this Sinn Féin victory was signal because the Sinn Féin victory signals something to all of us, is now we have to think about the future in a way in which we didn't ever before with a nationalist party at the helm or with most votes. If that nationalist party decides to go to the past and say we are going to win by forcing unionism into United Ireland, we will have a civil war. But if we use this and say, hold on a second now, let's think about what's going to happen. Let's think about the best way. Ironically, the Swiss way is the best. And why do the Swiss run it that way? Because they identify three different traditions. The German-speaking tradition, the Italian-speaking tradition, and the French-speaking tradition, with those Romance tradition in there as Mm. well. Those three things. When you are divided, you cannot have centralized power. Because centralized power means somebody's going to lose. We will be divided between the nationalist and the unionist tribe in the future. And the only way you can square that and accommodate and allow people to live with dignity is through direct democracy. So maybe that's the lesson we take from this week. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and the content and the range of ideas. Now, obviously, this costs quite a bit to put together. So if you feel like supporting us, we'd really appreciate it at patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. So become a patron. It supports us, but it also gives you access to exclusive one-to-one interviews, one-to-one conversations with some of the world's finest thinkers that you won't hear anywhere else. See ya. See ya.